What's up, Westside? How are we doing today? We're good. It is so good to see you. If we haven't met, my name is JJ, and I'm so excited you're here. No matter if you're our North Sanctuary or South Sanctuary, our Speedway campus are joining us online. And I'm excited you're here because today is back to school Sunday. Praise God. My kids were driving me crazy, and I'm ready for them to go back to school. And I can't believe on Friday my daughter had a half day. Like, come on, man. Like, give her a full day of school, right? Um... I'm just joking, I love my kids, like, it's okay. Uh, well, when I was growing up, I don't know if this is true for you, but it's true for me, my mom used to make my brother and I uh, take a photo before our first day of school. And I'm just so glad social media didn't exist back then. Because I grew up in the 90s, which meant my mom made my brother and I wear the same outfit. And you will never see those pictures because I have destroyed them and they're not on social media etched in history. And so I'm so excited that it doesn't exist. And recently I was on Google and I searched some first of the day photos and I came across a blog where some parents took a before and after the first day. And since it's back to school Sunday, I thought, hey, let's show you some of them this morning. Here's our first picture. Maybe. (laughs) I don't think she's going back to school. In fact, let me let you in on a little secret. If you want to know the difference between our 8.15 service and 11 o'clock service, there's your picture. Uh, That's what it looks like. Don't tell the 11 o'clock that. I'm in a lot of trouble for that. But then we have this one. Yeah, I don't think he's like, he's looking really upset at his mom right now because she lied to him. She told him his future was bright, but it doesn't look too bright at the moment. But then as I was scouring through Google, I actually came across Uh, a photo of Randy when he was in school. Look at this. (laughs) And in case you're wondering, that is back when the Dead Sea was just sick. So there you go. I've been waiting to, I may not have a job tomorrow is what that's called. You got one available, I'm coming to you. Um, So we're excited, some of you are excited that school's starting back up before we get back to school. I, I just want to start our service this way and let you know that God is at work in the next generation. In fact, this past summer, we saw 33 students give their lives to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Like, can we give God some praise in this place? Another cool thing that's been happening in this generation is since January, we've seen 45 students go public with their faith and say, I belong to Jesus by being baptized, which is really awesome, right? Like, we can celebrate that. But my absolute favorite thing that's happening is watching our students serve week in and week out in our church. They serve in our cafe, on our worship, arts team, our tech team. They serve in our kids' ministry. And actually, one of my favorite moments that happened this summer was seeing some of our students have the opportunity to baptize some of their kids that are in their small group. And I tell you that for a couple reasons. A, because we we got a God who's still on his throne and he's still at work. And he's still in the business of changing lives. He's still in the business of using this generation. And I also tell you this because uh, we're starting this brand new series, Battle for Our Kids. And I think it's really easy for our minds just to go straight towards the negative. For us just to kind of look at the craziness of this world. And yes, the world's crazy. It's called sin. And like sin's not going away until Jesus comes back. Like, so we shouldn't be shocked by that. But I tell us that because I've never seen a generation like the generations that's sitting before us today, that's more desperate for Jesus than I've ever seen. 
I see a generation that isn't waiting to, to dig into the word of God, that's not waiting to serve, that's not waiting to get into a group until they get older because that's when God uses you. I'm seeing a generation get mobilized right now. I see a generation of students who say, hey, I don't wanna just know Jesus, but I want my people at school to know Jesus. I want people in my work to know Jesus. Hey, I even want my mom and dad because my mom and dad aren't showing up here and they don't really love Jesus right now, but I want them to know Jesus. So God is at work in the next generation and the enemy knows it and he doesn't like it. So yeah, it's great for us to celebrate and we should celebrate what God is doing but I want us to understand that there's still a battle going on for our kids. And the battle that's going on for our kids is a spiritual battle. And I think that's so important for us to understand today because the enemy has convinced so many of us that the battle is against the newest Disney movie that they just put out. The enemy has convinced some of us that the battle is against going or not going to the Taylor Swift concert because apparently she's a witch now. The enemy has convinced us that the battle is against how much screen time our kids have or don't have, or simply the enemy has convinced some of us that the battle isn't for our kids, but the battle is against our kids. And that's a problem because the enemy has convinced so many of us to fight in the wrong battle. And when we fight the wrong battle, we end up fighting the wrong enemy. So here's something I want us to just get from the very get-go. It's this, the enemy is not one another. The enemy isn't the person sitting to your right or your left or the person in front or your neighbor. The enemy is the devil and he roams around like a lion seeking someone to devour. So when we fight in the wrong battle against the wrong enemy, the real enemy, he looks around and seizes the moment to roam around like a lion. And as he roams around, he begins to kill, to steal, and destroy. So if we are gonna stand up and fight in this spiritual battle for our kids, we have got to fight the right enemy in the right battle. But here's the question, how do we do that? Well, I'm so glad that you asked because that's what we're gonna talk about today. In fact, I wanna look at this guy in the Old Testament by the name of Nehemiah. And I love Nehemiah because Nehemiah wasn't a priest or a pastor. Nehemiah wasn't a prophet or a king. Nehemiah was a normal guy who heard something one day that made him so compelled that he got up and he actually did something about it. And it all starts one day when his brother and some friends come to town and Nehemiah is sitting with them and so he asks them, hey, tell me about home and tell me about our people. And they said, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. In other words, Nehemiah, the news isn't good. The walls and the gates, they're destroyed, which has caused a lot of trouble and a lot of shame. To which, if you're like me, you're kind of like, why the overreaction? Why are they in great trouble and shame? Well, they're in great trouble and shame because the wall represented their security and their identity. It represented their security because literally if they were going to be attacked by an enemy, they could go behind the wall and find safety. So no wall meant no security and no security meant that they were constantly on guard, constantly worried, constantly anxious about when is an enemy gonna show up. So they lived in fear because it's not like they had a ring doorbell to ding them when someone showed up. It's like, hey, I'm about to take over your place. Like they didn't have that. 
So they were greatly in trouble because the wall represented their security, but it also represented their identity. You see, the Israelites are known throughout the Old Testament as God's chosen people. And so when they looked at the wall, they believed that because the wall represented that they were the children chosen by God people. So as they looked at this broken down wall, it caused shame in them because people were telling them, hey, this is who you are. God doesn't love you anymore. He doesn't like you. And oh, by the way, you're no longer God's people anymore. They were filled with great trouble and shame. And in the same way, if I were just to kind of describe what I think is happening in our kids today, I would describe it as they are in great trouble and shame. And I know this because I read articles that point out statistics like 42% of Gen Z has been diagnosed with a mental health disorder. I read articles that that remind us that 85% of Gen Z are worried about the future. But I really know that the next generation has a lot of trouble and shame because that's what I do for a living. I sit down with them, I have conversations with them, and over the last few years, I've heard more stories about, man, I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm dealing with depression, I'm dealing with, hey, I may wanna end my life. I've had conversations with more students who have said, man, I wanna find freedom from the addiction to pornography. I've had more conversations with students who are broken because of what's happening in their home because mom and dad doesn't love Jesus and they're coming here by themselves and they don't know what to do because they feel like they're spiritual orphans in their home. I've had more conversations with students who feel this pressure to perform and they're overwhelmed and they go to school and they're like, man, I gotta get this grade so I can get into Harvard and I gotta do this so I can become the president of the United States and they're overwhelmed had more conversations with students who are broken because their mom and dad are getting a divorce. And I've even had conversations with kids that say, why doesn't my dad love me anymore? Because now I find myself in foster care. So our kids are experiencing a lot of trouble which has caused them to experience a lot of shame. The problem with shame is that shame attacks your identity. Shame says, I am what I did. So in these same conversations, I hear them saying, hey, I am anxiety. I am my fear. I am unlovable. I am my addiction. I am fill in the blank. They are filled with great trouble and shame. And that's a problem, right? So like Nehemiah, we have a choice to make. You see, Nehemiah, he could have went back and done nothing. The people and the city that he's hearing this report about are about 1,000 miles away. So he could have just went back to serving the king. He could have went back to eating the same food. He could have went back watching his favorite TV show on the king's 4K TV. He could have went back to posting selfies of himself serving the king with the hashtag, blessed to serve. Like, he could have done all of that. But he didn't do it. He actually did something about it. And we know this because Nehemiah tells us in verse four, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept 
and mourned for days. What a crybaby, right? Nehemiah responds by sitting down to cry. And if we want to fight in the spiritual battle against the real spiritual enemy, we need to follow his example and we need to sit down to cry. Now, this doesn't come natural to me. I'll just be honest. I'm more like Rocky Balboa. I see the fight, I enter the fight, and I start fighting. And I win, all right? Like, that's just what, what it is, all right? Like, he always wins. Come on, like, right? It's like, but I'm a fighter. And again, like I just said, I kind of made fun of Nehemiah. Like, when, when I've read this for so many years, I made fun of him. I'm like, you're crying? Like, why are you crying? Back in May, we were sitting down to do uh, a creative meeting for this entire series, and, and Randy was casting the vision for this series, which, by the way, if you don't know why we're doing this series, we've been on this journey called Unshakable for the last few months, and one of the things that we've revealed to our church over and over again is that, hey, our kids are hurting, and we're not, and we're not gonna stand for it. In fact, we are saying, hey, we are not going to allow, if they're, they're struggling, they're dealing with anxiety or depression, we're gonna eliminate anything. So if you're a part of that, please hear me saying thank you so much for being a part of what God's wanting to do in us and through us and beyond us. But Randy, he's casting this vision for this, and I'm trying to pay attention because God is talking to me. And And he just asked me the question, not out loud, because that would have been freaky and I probably would have ran, but in my heart, he said, are you broken by it? I ignored it. I was like, God, I'm, I'm trying to pay attention. Like, please leave me alone. <laughs> but he wouldn't leave me alone. He asked me again, are you broken by what's happening. I was like, what, what's happening? He's like, he's like, you know what's happening in our world. You know what's happening to the teens of this world. You, you know what they're dealing with. You know how they're struggling. You've heard the stats. You've had the conversations. But is it affecting your heart? Are you broken by it? It doesn't break my heart the way that it breaks your heart. So for the last few months, I've been sitting down. And I've been asking God, would you break my heart the way that it breaks your heart? And it's been working. It's like he turned on a faucet. And I've just been sitting here and I just find myself crying and what he's been showing me is this, is that brokenness is not a sign of weakness. Brokenness is actually a prerequisite for what God is going to do through you. In fact, he's not gonna do anything through you until it affects you. So can I ask you the same question? Does it break your heart? 
when, when I talk about what our kids are experiencing in our world today, are, are, do you want to go complain about it? Or does it actually break your heart to where you want to go do something about it? Like, does it break your heart that there are students who are dying that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that are spending eternity not with Jesus, they're spending eternity separated from him? Does it break your heart that week in and week out at our Lenexa campus and our Speedway campus that we're having to shut down rooms in our kids' ministry because we would rather be comfortable than actually getting out and serving? Does it break your heart that almost half of Gen Z has been diagnosed with a mental health disorder? Does it break your heart that you're like, man, I'm... I'm ready to go and do something about it. Because until God, you allow God to break your heart, you're not gonna get up and do anything about it. So maybe if you're here today and you're like, man, it just, it's not breaking my heart, maybe that's the start for some of us today, is to sit down and just beg God to break our heart in this place. Because that's what Nehemiah did. But he doesn't stop there, and we know this because he tells us that he continued to, to fast and pray before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was a, a man of prayer. In fact, another thing that I love about this book of the Bible is that it starts with prayer, it ends with prayer, and everything in between is prayer. And the reason why this is a book of prayer is simply because Nehemiah realized that he was a defensive liability. He wasn't good at playing defense. And so he said, I'm gonna go on the offense, and the way that he goes on the offense is by praying. Here's what I know about every single person today. You're a defensive liability. So why do we keep treating prayer like it's the last line of defense instead of treating prayer like it's the first line of offense? We need to follow his example, and we need to kneel down to pray. And we need to kneel down to pray simply because his word reminds us that if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and repent of their ways, I will send healing to your land. Good news of the gospel real quick. God's already sent healing to the land in the form of Jesus Christ. He died and he was buried and he came back to life. So if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are called to take that healing to your work, to your homes, to schools, and everywhere else to the ends of the earth. But it doesn't start until we actually get down on our knees and humble ourselves. This right here is a posture of humility. And this is where God wants to lead us today. In fact, I don't believe we need another message on prayer. You know how to talk about the chiefs, you know how to pray. <laughs> Our world needs real people who will really get down on their knees and pray. So when you came in today, you picked up one of these cards, or I hope you did. If you didn't, in a few moments, you'll have an opportunity to go to one of our tables in the back and pick up one of these cards. And here's what I want to invite you into with me. And I say that because I started this journey on Monday, and I don't tell you that to brag. I tell you that because I would never ask you to do something that I haven't already begun to do myself. 
But here's what I'm asking you to do today, is that if you are willing to commit to pray for your kids or, and, or, and the kids here at Westside, I want you to take this card and write your name on it. Because this is how we're gonna fight our battle. In fact, in just a second, the band's gonna begin to play over us and they're gonna sing a chorus over us and, and I'm just gonna give you that opportunity just to get into that attitude of prayer. And if you're willing, man, sign your name and then I'm gonna ask you to do something else. If you are able, feel like it, or want to, and if you don't, I promise you it's okay. But if you're willing, I'm gonna invite you to get on your knees and pray this morning. Just as a posture and saying to God, we're drawing the line in the sand, God. We need you to do what only you can do. We're not waiting, we're gonna pray and we're going to fast. And I'm asking you to do that for one day. Here's the thing about one day, you can do anything for one day. And I haven't talked about fasting. Fasting sometimes looks like giving up food. You don't have to give up food. Sometimes fasting looks like you give up social media. Sometimes fasting looks like you give up your favorite TV show. Sometimes fasting means that you stop listening to country music for a day, even though it's really great and awesome. But the point of fasting is that you give up something so that you don't hunger for the things of this world, but you would hunger for the things of God. You actually hunger after him. And the more hungry we get for God, the more that he will stir our hearts and our minds and our affections to him, and we will get out and do the things that he's calling us to do. So for one day, would you commit to praying and fasting? I'm gonna pray, the worship team's gonna pray, play over us, and I'm gonna invite you just to get into that posture, to think about, are you, are you committed to praying? for your kids and the kids here at Westside. And then if you feel willing or enabled to get on your knees with me and just pray, pray over our kids, pray over your kids. So Jesus, God, we just get on our knees before you today. God, this is, this is us saying, God, we're drawing a line in the sand. This is us saying, God, we, we want what you want. God, this is us saying that we want to hunger for you. God, what's happening in our world is not okay. What's happening to our kids, God, we can no longer stand for it. We gotta get on our knees and fight. So just where you are, I'm just gonna invite you just to, to, to pray and commit to praying for our kids right now as the band just worships over us. And then in just a second, I'll stand back up and lead us through the rest of our service together.
There's so much that I love about our church. One of the things that I love is that we're people of prayer. Jesus says that my house should be known as a house of prayer. Our house is known as a house of prayer. So thank you so much for being willing to jump in this battle with us. So as you leave today, out in our commons, we, we have a calendar. You can go ahead and return to your seat. I don't want to make you sit on your knees. I know that's uncomfortable. So I want to invite you to take this, and, and we have a calendar out in our commons at Lenexa and at Speedway. I want to invite you to put this on a day that you're committing to praying and fasting for your kids and our kids here at Westside. But what I also love about you is this. Westsiders go the extra mile. Some of you are hearing like a day, man, that's nothing. Give me more. Well, we have more for you. Maybe you're here today and God's stirring in your heart to, to pray and, and fast for a week. And so we have cards out there that have a week commitment. Or if you really want to get crazy with us, you can pray and fast for the next 21 days. So we have multiple cards out by that calendar out there. But I just want to say, no matter if you're committing to, to praying for a day or a week or 21 days, we believe that God's about to do something special. We believe that God is about to do something in us and through us and beyond us. We believe that God is about to restore marriages. We believe that he is going to begin to break through mental health and our teens and our kids. We believe that addictions are gonna fall. We believe that he is going to do it. And here's why, church. The battle is already won. So all we have to do is get on our knees and stand up and stand in victory. In fact, this morning, I wanna invite you wherever you are to stand up with us and stand in that victory because we are not fighting a battle that has not been won. We are fighting a battle that God has already declared, I have won.